back everybody i have part two of this interview with jeremy eater and we're going to talk a little bit about uh the blockchain uh we've been we've made some announcements around that but um jeremy welcome back to the show uh for the this uh double header uh, episode that we have with you um let's talk about the blockchain a little bit so what what is the blockchain when you know people see that in the trade press and i think that is one of the big buzzwords that people are seeing this year so what is the blockchain and and what can somebody do with it right thanks uh thanks for having me back david so uh, we did announce some partnership isv programs around blockchain at our partner conference uh, in early april and there's a lot of interest in this space. There's a lot of startups that are that are implementing uh, blockchain technology and attempting to find use cases for it, uh, certainly beyond finance. So, um, our perspective around blockchain, well, let me well, start what with is the a blockchain? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a cryptographically secure distributed ledger of mm -hmm. transactions. Those transactions can be of any kind. Mm -hmm. It's a mathematically secure ledger. So one of the key pieces, or the pieces that makes it interesting, is that um, it's distributed, mm -hmm. which means it can run across many, many nodes and can be accessed by API from any endpoint in the world. Yeah. That you know, if you choose to deploy it in such a fashion, so blockchain can be deployed internally, externally, publicly, privately on any infrastructure at the moment. Yeah. And um, so some of the more interesting use cases we've seen are in the financial space, just because of where you know the the cryptocurrency type origins of the blockchain technology, which is part of the underpinnings for Bitcoin. Um, people are getting very creative at the moment with with where to apply this technology. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because that's where, you know, people, you know, it's like people almost can't mention blockchain without Bitcoin in the same sentence because the, um, the thing that put blockchain on the map was cryptocurrencies like, uh, like Bitcoin. So if... You know, and then the other thing I think a lot of times people just look at blockchain and it's like, oh, that's just for cryptocurrencies. But it sounds like there are a lot of use cases outside of cryptocurrencies that from a um, like, I guess, anywhere that you're going to have a ledger um, where you're handing one thing off to another, um, there is an opportunity for uh, where blockchain could be used. But so uh, what, what are some examples? I think there's logistics is a good example. Um, tell me about some yeah, of the, yeah, the we've examples. Seen, yeah. Right. So as part of the um, Hyperledger project, which is a Linux Foundation sponsored um, blockchain consortium, mm -hmm. uh, we've seen a lot of interesting folks pop up lately. There's certainly the normal you know, consortia uh, or normal group of uh, banks and hedge funds which want to apply this to some business process they have internally and ultimately stock trading, I would assume. Yep. Um, but there's been some folks who are popping up around uh, normal paying of, of like how you would normally pay your bills. Um, mm -hmm. I saw an implementation that was someone paying for their own electricity for their house. So they had a panel on the wall, just like anyone has a panel, you know, that um, measures how much electricity they used. Uh, in this case, it was running a, a, a blockchain, a distributed ledger on a small you know, piece of gear mm -hmm. and transmitting that over the Internet back to the back to the company that was involved. So that was a pretty cool implementation. And that's actually in I don't believe it was U.S. based, but it is in the field. Mm -hmm. And then another one you mentioned logistics, you know, some in, some interesting application here uh, for fraud prevention in verticals like import export international trade 
of goods rather than um, stocks or, or money transfer. Uh, apparently, uh, some fraud in that area that larger companies are looking to avoid or curtail. Uh, and so they're looking to the mathematically secure benefits of blockchain to prevent those um, fraudulent transactions from occurring. Yeah. So that's the second one. And I think the third one, which is probably a little bit further out, but maybe the most interesting from my perspective anyway, is what do you do if you have access to publicly available transaction data? It sounds like a great application for um, some data scientists to learn very interesting things about how people spend their money, um, what businesses they might transact with if those type of information is public. Um, you know how certain companies may be scanning your data or governments may be scanning your data or your email to learn more about you in terms of what, you know, so they can tailor advertisements to you. That type of data could be learned from distributed ledgers. And even if, it, if, even if it's something innocuous um, that gets tracked in the ledger, you know, you could learn a lot from it. So I think over time, as these things pop up into the real world, these distributed ledgers, you may end up seeing uh, businesses focused purely on analysis of the ledger itself. Right. Yeah, I, th I think that's really interesting too. Like the, um, we're, before we started recording, you know, I talked about how like in Ohio, they do, they have like electric choice and gas choice where I have my local electric provider, but I have a choice of different electricity providers that would be provided to that electric provider. But I sign up for a contract for a period of, of months or years and I commit to a particular thing. I can imagine that those payments could be, they could happen over a blockchain and possibly even in terms of like um, much shorter term contracts as well, like the, where it could be down to the minute as far as who's providing the right <laughs> electricity and, and whoever's yeah. providing the cheapest. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, I agree. People are going to be very creative with that sort of thing. Um, I think what you were really getting at is more of a, the audit trail principle behind the blockchain that's yeah. an immutable audit trail. Right, right. And so you know exactly what happened and when. Yeah. And which parties were involved? So I agree with you. It's 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 secure, more secure than any private ledger of any kind, um, in that it is based on um, fundamentally based on some um, mathematics and cryptology. So I agree. The audit trail is a very interesting, yeah, very interesting part of all of this. Yeah, yeah, and even like the business models <clears throat> that you talk about, that you know people won't necessarily be mining, but just analyzing the the blockchain and possibly you know from an electric choice or whatever, people selling future options based upon seeing the consumption of what's going on. So, um, or, you know, think about, um, I've seen other use cases too, like in whether it's real estate or a stock settlement where uh, it's crazy these days how, you know, you go to buy a house, the money has to go into escrow and you spend a lot of money on just you know, make, having a trusted source that is holding the check, making sure that the check clears before you get your keys to the house. Yeah, um, I yeah. think <clears throat> I think there's you know the the pipeline or the workflow involved with some of those transactions is part of the reason why the financial industry is interested in this. They'd like to you know whatever the better word cut out the middleman right. or reduce some of the human interaction points, but that that you know facilitates money getting from from point A to point B. And if you can rely on the audit trail and the fact that it's mathematically secure, maybe you don't need those checks and balances anymore as much as you as much as you might have um, in the past. So I think 
that's part of where the import-export use case might be coming in here where they, um, they, they feel they can rely on and trust this distributed auditable, you know, secure ledger more than they can trust their business partners. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then um, I also noticed too, that there was an announcement that we made about not just participating in Hyperledger, but uh, being, having a, a OpenShift blockchain initiative. And I, you know, when I think about uh, blockchain, uh, you know, I think about Bitcoin, I, I think about uh, a bunch of people in China doing all kind of mining right next to a hydroelectric dam um, where you know you're very very close to the metal and and everything but whenever you start thinking about oh platform as a service and cloud computing you're abstracting away the hardware from the 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 blockchain and the workload whenever you're doing this on a pad so what what are some of the things that like why would somebody want to do blockchain-like things on top of OpenShift and, you know, from a, a use case, but also how do we make sure that it's performant? Right. Um, if you buy into the unit of the, the, the container as an image format, then if you're, you know, if you, if you fundamentally buy into that as the unit of packaging, then that's all you need to know about the container. OpenShift will schedule it and run it like a regular application. Our job as performance engineers is to make sure that for the for the common case that those are, those those performance numbers are acceptable and provide you with some options if they're not. Um, so yeah, we we did announce an OpenShift blockchain initiative. ISVs uh, participants in the hyperledger they're already generating starting to generate container images. Mm -hmm. Those will those our job is to get those running on Kubernetes and OpenShift. Yeah, uh, and Docker of course, and at that point, at least from the platform level, it is just another application to schedule. It might have some some special needs mm -hmm. like resource management. It might need uh, device pass through, for example. You know, mathematically, applications that are are compute bound, um, such as Bitcoin mining, run run exceptionally well in containers because those processes are scheduled in the same user space that the uh, normal host operating system is running. That's a, that's a small difference, although from a form standpoint, a very big difference between uh, virtualization and containers is, is those segregation, or the lack of segregation of the process space for containerized apps. So the ISVs will ship us or, or publish containers. We will be able to then run them on OpenShift. Mm -hmm. And our idea is to allow the primitives or provide the primitives in Kubernetes and OpenShift to allow you to glue in, you know, whether it's... Um, kernel bypass network adapters in Finiband or uh, perhaps GPUs to accelerate the math computations if, if that type of workload is something you want to run on OpenShift. So if you think about OpenShift, really what you should think of is it is a, it's a container orchestration system. And we're providing, uh, Red Hat as a whole anyway, is providing leadership in, in areas that, uh, that makes, that are Enterprise focused, so we're we're focused on security. Yeah, we're pro we're focused on um, persistent storage. So we've done a lot of work, particularly to enable um, EBS and which is um, an Amazon thing, and uh, Ceph and Gluster on OpenShift. Mm -hmm. So that's the where your containers would store their persistent data. Um, those are enterprise focused features that we're we're leading the way, uh, at least in the in the upstream communities and. Those get productized into into our enterprise products. Yeah, yeah, and it's, to me, the way the way you describe all this, I think 
this is the thing that's important for what Red Hat does really well is it we're not just a PaaS company or a container company where um, you know we go the whole way from the PaaS layer the whole way down to lighting up the hardware the operating system layer mm -hmm. and that's what's really important from a performance standpoint is it if if you're really concerned about performance and security and and things like that you can't just work at the the higher PaaS level. You need to get down into the plumbing of the kernel and and being able to have those relationships of being able to to change things way down the stack, right yeah. above the hardware level. It's true, and we rely on our on our coworkers that work that at that level quite a lot. In fact, in the early days of turning on uh, Docker in in Linux in general, we we had to rely on them quite a bit for uh, some very interesting areas in scalability that we had never. We had never tickled these parts of the kernel before. Yeah. Uh, one of the major products that, and the reason why I've lost um, hair and gained a bunch of weight was actually <laughs> like two years ago or two and a half years ago where we were, you know, we, we, we told the, the virtual file system, the VFS kernel guys, we wanted 8,000 mount points. And they said, okay. And they said, we want them now fast. Right. And that was a problem. Like it could do 8,000, but it took forever and it was compute bound. And that was a lot of work. And we relied on our, our kernel engineers uh, pretty closely for those couple of months to, to enable the scale out of containers using the Linux kernel. All that stuff, of course, went upstream and everybody you know, who's using the Linux kernel now benefits from our work. Yeah. Um, same thing goes for changes that we make upstream in Kubernetes. That's just the way Red Hat operates. So, And it's not just the, the, the file system guys. The networking folks are working hard to ensure that you know, we scale out from a networking and SDN standpoint, um, that our performance is acceptable at the open vSwitch level. And we've got guys who are working on the um, the IP table side in the kernel to accelerate that as well. So that's the kernel. We also have, as you as you had mentioned, um, a platform product in OpenStack, and we're doing a lot of scalability testing on our on our own OpenStack distribution right now, as you can imagine. So those integrations are ongoing. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's some more natural integrations to, um, you know, for example, one of the things you'd like to see is a scheduler that automatically turns on new nodes when it reaches certain watermarks. Those are things that are underway right now. Um, you know, so there'll be some interaction between the platform and the infrastructure that allows a data transfer and, and kind of guidance around what we should expect. For example, we're going to start, uh, well, let's say you wanted to, let's say you're an ISV and you wanted to build containers as quickly as possible. Um, those build requests aren't constant. They're, they happen when uh, you know a developer tags a branch in his Git repo, and when that tag is seen on the message bus somewhere, then it kicks off you know, all of these builds. We would want our infrastructure to expand to support that build, um, expand horizontally to support that build, and then contract to control the cost of the whole infrastructure mm -hmm. when um, you know when those builds when those builds are complete. So that's a natural interaction between the the ver kind of the, the vertical stack integration um, between OpenStack, OpenShift, and and RHEL. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Okay. Well, hey, I'm going to let you go. And um, but before I let you go, if people wanted to learn more about Hyperledger and the uh, OpenShift blockchain initiative and all the other stuff we talked about, where should we send them? There's a blog uh, that announces our participation in the Hyperledger project. I believe it's, uh, it's written by Dave Neary, and I think it's on redhat.com. Um, and then, of course, ggshow.org. Absolutely. Yeah, and I do have a link to uh, Dave's uh, blog post in the uh, show notes. So just go to DG Show, and it's all there. So with that, thank you, uh, 
uh, Jeremy for joining us and thanks everybody for listening. All right, my pleasure, Dave. Thank you.